Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences. So there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And this week, with UFC 292 just a matter of days away, I could not think of a better person to join me to break down this card, a guy I love having on before and after all the big cards. Uh, he also has the best hair in mixed martial arts, as I've determined by watching one <laughs> of the UFC broadcasts. Always my pleasure to welcome the legend, Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm doing good, brother. I appreciate that comment. I'm just trying to hold on to it these days, man. You know, <laughs> I'm in my 40s now, so I was watching that, that broad- title. I was watching that broadcast on Saturday. I was like, damn, man, that guy's got like the best hair in all of MMA right now. Like, geez, man, they got you all styled up over there. Did you watch the whole show? Did you watch did. the whole fight card? Rather? I watched the whole fight card. Pre- did, you see DC, did you see DC hating <laughs> on me the whole show? Dude, he was he was he, uh, he was relentless. He's got the gene, man. He's got he's got the gene in him that like. He finds someone, and um, man, he he was he. I couldn't believe on the air. He goes, one of the fights ended. He goes, stupid, Alan Joban. I go, this son of a bitch. This guy just said that on the air, and then right after that, he's like, f Alan Joban on the, on Twitter. I'm like, this guy's going all in right now, man. That's DC, man. I'm gonna have to challenge him to something on like one of these weigh-in shows or something. I need to. I feel like everybody needs to kind of come together and go against dc <laughs> he's the almighty right he can kind of do whatever he wants so um we got to team up on him dc is the ultimate ball breaker like that's one yeah. thing i learned about dc all these years ago he is the ultimate ball breaker like he will break your balls and then he will not stop he loves doing like he loves doing that he's and he's good at it too he's pretty funny at it too he's he's good at it man he's got that um you know probably from wrestling i mean it's in, it's just in his dna like i said but um you know, being in, in, in the room on the mats for all these years, competing in the Olympics with, you know, you just you have to find time to you know, ways to pass the time sometimes and just, you know, kind of take the seriousness, seriousness of fighting and, and, you know, the nervous energy sometimes and just make light of it. And so, and so he does that. But Co- we, we got a new producer at the, at the UFC uh, his name's Cody and he's terrific, but he's only been there a few weeks. And Cody was telling me that night, Saturday night as well, that uh he produced his first weigh-in show that DC's always on, right? 
And Cody got in his ear and he's like, DC, can you hear me? And uh, DC sort of busting his balls, man. He was like, <laughs> who's this? Who's who, who am I talking to? And he goes, this is Cody. And he goes, Cody, Cody, who? He goes, Cody, the you know, producer, this and that. He goes, I don't know who Cody is. And he takes off his head. He's like, I don't know who's talking to me, guys. Who's Cody? And he just <laughs> busts his balls for like 10 minutes. And then finally, finally, he just let it go on with it, man. But he gives everybody a hard time, man. That's him. No, he's, he's a funny dude like that. Yeah, he was definitely going in. You know, it's funny. I tweeted on Saturday night. I said, right at the end of the prelims, I said, seven fights, seven finishes, unbelievable prelims. As soon as I tweeted it, I regretted it because I was like, I'm setting myself up for failure for the main card because inevitably when you mention, it's like talking to a, a pitcher in the middle of a perfect game in baseball. You just ruined it. As soon as yeah. I said seven fights and seven finishes, guaranteed the next fight's going to be a decision. And sure enough, that it was. Two of them, two two pretty slow fights. I think immediately after that. Thank God for Khalil Roundtree and his uh, aggressive nature. <laughs> I love it. Well, Alan, as I said, man, I couldn't imagine anyone better to uh, break down the card this weekend. UFC two ninety two in Boston. Card's taken a couple of hits. Unfortunately, obviously, we lost uh, Jeff Neal, but you know, thankfully, the uh, the guy who's I, I joked with him, I said. I think Neil Magny has like a bat signal in Colorado. The UFC just flashes in the air and he answers the call. So he's fighting Ian Machado Gary. And of course, we learned on Saturday night, unfortunately, we lost Cody Garbrandt out of his fight with Mario Batista. But the good thing with the stack pay-per-view, there's still a lot of good fights on this card. Yeah, yeah. And you, you're you right about Neil Magny. Um, he's willing, his willingness to take these fights, I think, is what what makes the UFC love him so much, you know? Uh, granted, he may not be the headliner type guy, but when you have somebody that could take a fight and he's good enough to fight at every level, which is what what helps him, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys might have wanted to take this fight as well, but they didn't probably make sense, right? They didn't have the name. They didn't have the number next to the name. Or could they hang with that level, maybe? Um, Neil Magny, some people call him a gatekeeper. Some people say, well, it, look at the positives of being a gatekeeper, right? I'm not calling him one, but I'm saying he's a guy that, look, Ian Gary's a guy that's saying, I'm going to be the next Conor McGregor. Are you really? Because you need to, this is a test. This is a tough test right here. I think it plays in Gary's favor. I know I'm jumping around. We're probably going to go to this later, but Gary's a guy that spectacular striking, fluid movement. Um, He's got really good accuracy and timing. He finds the counter shots, very good, sharp striking. Haven't really seen... His grappling tested too, you know, too too much, and his cardio, and and that's two of the things that I think, uh, when you talk about Neil Magny, he can always rely on because he's got fantastic cardio, and he's got he's kind of got the um the grappling thing where if he feels he's a better grappler than you, he will out grapple you, and so that's what he could always fall back on and take these fights on short notice. Well, let's just talk about that because I, I talked to Neil on Friday. After the fight got booked, I hit him up and I was like, dude, I know you got a fight in a week, but do you have time to talk? And he's like, always. And I was like, cool. So we talked. He's literally driving on the road to a training session. And he's like, no, I make time for you. And I was like, dude, you're insane. Like you just like you because we got to be honest, Alan, like and I don't and I don't by the way, I don't fault him when I say this. I don't I've said this for years. If a guy takes a short notice fight, let's applaud them. If they don't take a short notice fight, we should never say a bad word about them because it's a difficult situation to be in. But particularly when you're a top 15 fighter, because you're you're risking a lot when you're taking a, a fight like this. Neil Magny's just that dude. Like, he always says yes. He'll always be there to step up. And I said this to Neil, and I mean this. Listen, I think Ian Machado Gary is a super tough guy. He looks incredible. But 
he hasn't really been tested at that level yet. Like he beat Daniel Rodriguez. That's a quality win. And he did storm through Daniel Rodriguez. That's an impressive win. But he's had a couple of hiccups in earlier fights. He got into a little bit of a brawl before. He's, he's you know, he's looked good, but maybe not great. And I said, Neil Magny is 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 an incredibly so like the guys who beat Neil Magny are guys like Gilbert Burns, guys like Shavkat Rachmanov, who seems like he's going to be a title contender. Those are the guys who beat Neil Magny. Everyone else kind of steps behind him in line because that's just who he is. So this is legit. This is it. And let's not forget, Neil Magny has a pretty dominant win over Jeff Neal, the guy who was going to fight Ian Gary. So this is, listen, does he have an advantage because he's getting Neil Magny on a week's notice or week and a half's notice, whatever it is? Yes. But Neil told me, and I'm just repeating what, what he told me to you, Alan, he, got, he, he fought his last fight in Jacksonville in June. He said, as I was stepping onto the plane, I was texting my coaches about what I did wrong. I landed, and Monday I was back in the gym. Hmm. And he said, I looked at the welterweight landscape, and I said, there's a chance one of these guys is going to fall out. So I wanted to stay ready. So realistically, yeah. while you know a lot of guys would say, well, it's a week's notice, he's not been slowing down. He said, I was in the gym Monday after my fight. So, you know, is he at a slight disadvantage? Sure. But I don't think this is a walkover fight for Ian Gary by any stretch of the imagination. And, and remind me, who was Neil Magny's last fight that uh, you were referring it, to? It was Phil. Uh, why am I forgetting his oh, name? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 the Fresh Prince. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, Phil, Phil, Rowe, um, Phil Rowe. Phil Rowe. Phil Rowe. Yeah. yeah. Who's a really good up and comer. Right. And so that was a. Uh, that was a big victory. That was the kind of guy that, that that had big things going for him that looked really good, kind of stylistically, you know, like mimic Neil Magny with he's a tall, lanky, tough guy. And Neil Magny was able to show that he's still in there. You look at the pros and cons of this fight for Ian Gary. He's now getting uh, Neil Magny on short notice. And let's be honest, he's he's an older Neil Magny. It hasn't shown tremendously in his game, but nonetheless, I believe Neil Magny's 38 to 39. And it's just a fact because I know because I was there and everybody kind of ages differently, obviously, but it's just, it's just, it's been a pattern of history. When you get into those 38s, 39s, uh, 40 age range, you start to kind of lose some things, right? Um, I felt it. My last fight was a week before my 39th birthday. And even though I won that fight, people wanted me to come back and go, that was as good as I will ever be at that age. And it can only get worse because I'm only going to get older, fight less and less, and injuries might start to creep up. Neil Magny, as you said, he stayed ready. But what I'm getting at is Ian called for this fight originally, right? He wanted Neil Magny. So what that tells me is there's something about Neil Magny's style that he's not scared of, that he feels like he will be able to stay off of the fence, circle out using that fantastic footwork that Gary has, keep this in the center of the octagon where he's got to have the more of the advantage. He's going to be the faster fighter, more of the predominant striker in there. But again, what Neil Magny does to everyone when he's not working out, let's take Daniel Rodriguez. They both just fought Daniel Rodriguez not too long ago. Daniel Rodriguez had hurt Neil Magny, kind of stunned him. You saw him get wobbled and stuff. What did Neil Magny do? He resorted to that grappling. And he always seems to do that. Same thing that he did against... um. Was it Max um, Max Griffin, right? Mm -hmm. That was a very closely contested fight. I think it was 1-1 going into the third. Neil Magny turns on the wrestling, puts him against the fence. He's got fantastic cage control, grinds you down. Even if he's not getting the takedown, he's he, he's very comfortable standing there with those underhooks, being the taller guy, just chipping away at you, getting you fatigued because he doesn't fatigue. So um, this is a fight that Gary wanted. He sees something, but for... 
again, going back to Neil Magny, he's always in terrific shape. And you just pointed out, man, he was ready to go after his last fight. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, like I said, what, you know, I actually said this to Neil. I said that the term gatekeeper can be taken as a compliment or an insult, depending on how you look at it. You know, I think, you know, in a way you could compliment a guy by saying that because you look at him as a measuring stick. Like, if you can get past Neil Magny, you're one of the best welterweights in the world. And I don't think gatekeeper is yes. an insult. But then there's the other side where it's like you're a gatekeeper to the top 10. You're not really top 10. So if I go through that, you, that I you're not going to be champion. That's the yeah. negative side. People yeah. So there's like, the, yeah, there's a two. It's like a, it's like a double edged sword with that. But this is interesting because listen, I'd be lying if I said, I don't favor Ian Gary because he's been preparing. He's, you know, staying in the gym and going to a training camp are two different things. We both know that Like you can be in the gym every day. It doesn't mean you're actually training for a fight. You're not grinding and doing the two a days and cutting weight and all the things you normally do when you're getting ready for a six or eight week camp. That's different than just being in the gym. I know a lot of guys who just train in the gym, but you're not really getting ready for a fight. Um, so I do, I do lean towards Ian Gary and I am, a, I am a believer in Ian Gary, but I don't, and I don't mean this as an insult. I don't have the same faith in Ian Gary as I did when I first saw Hamza Chemaev, and I don't have the same faith in Ian Gary as when I first saw Shavkat Rachmanov. Not saying he's not good. He is very good. But I think if he beats Neil this weekend, we're going to find out how good he gets in a hurry because nothing's going to get easier from here on out. And I'm not saying Neil Magny's an easy fight. Actually, you could argue... I love Jeff Neal, but you could argue this is a tougher matchup because Neal does present those grappling challenges where Jeff Neal doesn't really do that. Jeff's more of a boxer, incredibly heavy-handed, obviously, lots of danger mm -hmm. there. But you're not worried as much with Jeff Neal that he's going to take you down, he's going to out-grapple you, he's going to out-cardio you. Those are not necessarily the worries of a Jeff Neal. Now with Neil Magny, you have to worry about that. Neil can go 15 hard minutes. Neil can take you to the ground. Neil can stand up. Neil can do a little bit of everything. So... I lean towards Ian Gary. I think the, the advantages are still there just because of the timing, and he is a really good fighter. But I'm not – I don't mean this as an insult. I'm just saying I'm not all in on Ian Gary quite yet. Like, I'm not I'm not ready to say, man, this is a guy that's going to beat Leon Edwards in, in a year and a half. I'm not, I'm not there yet with this guy. Well, when I think Ian Gary, um, I, 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 I – I mirror him somewhat with Sean O'Malley, right? A, a, a sniper type striker and growth. Growth is the key word when I think about Ian Gary because he came into the UFC, he looked pretty good, but he also somewhat struggled against somewhat par, subpar opponents, right? There was some opponents where he wasn't finishing them. He was getting hit on shots. You remember not too long ago, uh, he, he got dropped. He got dropped uh, by a big punch, was able to recover, come back and win that fight. But those are the type of shots that you can't take when you get into the top 15. And really, when we're going to, if Ian Gary gets his win over Neil Magny, obviously a lot of us are going to say what we just said. If Ian Gary is, quote unquote, the gatekeeper, I'm sorry, Neil Magny, the gatekeeper, then Ian Gary just proved himself. He is deserving of the top 15 and he's somebody that's on the rise. Now, I think the trajectory of his career could have been changed if I'm being honest though, Damon, because if this fight, if the original fight would have happened, Jeff Neal, that's a much tougher fight. And I don't know if Ian Gary is going to pass that test. I really don't. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's on his way there. As I said, growth. He's the guy that's been showing growth in every single fight. And he looked fantastic being able to take out D-Rod as he did. But Jeff Neal was going to put a, a new level of pressure and toughness and grit uh, that he hadn't experienced yet, and that was going to be a tough one. So if that original fight might have happened, 
Ian Gary's trajectory, man, it might have it might have stumbled, and he might have had to take a step back. But this is going to work into his favor, as you said. He's probably going to be a slight favorite because of the circumstances. Short notice, older fighter, um, and, and I think he he can pass this test. Um, so I think it, what I'm getting at is it worked out in his favor because he's the guy that needs to grow every fight, and Neil Magny is a much more growing type fight than Jeff Neal was because Jeff Neal brings the storm. Yeah, Jeff Neal is like, Jeff Neal's the guy who hit you one time and your chin's on the floor and you're waking up asking what happened. Like I said, and, and Jeff, I know Jeff Neal was super motivated because Ian was wearing yeah. that shirt around with the mug shot <laughs> on it. That pissed him off. I mean, that's pissed, a dangerous dude. Safe Saud as well as coaches, team, everybody's pissed yeah, off. Yeah, that's that. a, that's a, and that's a dangerous game to play with a guy like Jeff Neal. So yeah, but like I said, man, you're going to find out because if you do get through Neil Magny, uh, then you're looking at guys like Wonderboy. You're looking at guys, you know, you're looking at Shavkat Rachmanov. You're looking at, I mean, Gilbert Burns. I mean, you know, Bilal Muhammad, obviously Bilal's, you know, kind of number one contender, but like of that level, you know what I mean? Like, dude, yeah. you're you're stepping in the lion's den at welterweight at that point. You're looking at Kamaru Usman. You're looking, I mean, that's oh man, that's a that's a that's a dangerous road to to, to walk. And I, you know, I hope Ian Gary can walk it, but man, oh boy, I tell you what, you get through you get through Neil Magny, it does not get any easier. Yeah, and, and as you said, I mean, if you would have beaten, if you would have, it, it 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 becomes tough, right? And and I go back to that original matchup with Jeff Neal, and it almost makes me, if it it makes me think, what the UFC was thinking when they matched that up, right? Because he's a star on the rise; they like him, good looking kid, likes to talk the talk. He 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 he's marketable, he's sellable. Is what I'm getting at. But so they give him one of the toughest fights in the division, a solid striker, a guy that's not trying to only wrestle and leave openings on the feet, a guy that that that's tough to take down, that 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 I don't know if the fight would have gone his way. And so I wonder how much the UFC is all in on Ian Gary with that one being that they gave him the tougher matchup. That's true. I was I'll be honest with you. I was leaning towards Jeff Neal in that fight. Like I'm just oh, being yeah. honest. Like I was leaning towards was him too. to win that fight. So uh yeah, it is a bum. But listen, man, Neil Magny's a gamer. He's never gonna make it easy for you. Um and like I said, I I always remember when he fought Kelvin Gastelum back in the day in Mexico City, and everyone was so high on Kelvin Gastelum, future champion, ultimate fighter, blah, 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 blah. And Neil just worked him for five rounds. I mean, that dude just has un, un- unbelievable cardio, relentless. There's those fights where Neil just surprises you. So, you know, I won't be shocked if Neil pulls it off this week. And I'm, I'm going to pick Ian Gary, but I won't be the least bit surprised if, if Neil Magny somehow pulls off the upset. Not at all. If Neil could push him against the fence, wear on him, make it somewhat of an ugly fight, I think he can get the victory right there. We're going to see Ian Gary does have fantastic footwork. He's he's a, he, as I said, he's a, he's a counter striker. He's, he's sharp. He finds it. He set up that headshot. That headshot against D Rod, right? That was a little bit more. Uh, that was that was an easier type of setup against somebody like D Rod because it, you, you, he kind of baited him into that. I don't think I don't think um, Neil's going to allow him to do that. I think he's going to close the distance right away and be in his face. And that pressure type fighting, not letting you breathe, is what he does well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me take a step back into the prelims on this card, Alan, because another, you know, the main card is great, but one of the biggest stories going into this weekend is the return of Chris Weidman. We all remember the unfortunate vision, him fighting Uriah Hall. He, he looked great, you know, coming back, got that win over Omari Akhmedov, goes into the Uriah Hall fight, you know, whatever it was, 20 seconds in, throws that kick, and it's just the absolute heartbreaking moment. I've, I've interviewed Chris several times since then, uh, you know, just – 
incredible comeback story. Take another guy, Brad Tavares, who is always a tough customer. Brad Tavares is, it does not bow down to anybody. And and Brad, I know, I talked to Brad after this fight was booked. He was pretty fired up about the stoppage in his last fight. He did not like the stoppage in that last fight. Uh, did not like, you know, not, obviously not Bruno Silva's fault, but he had a big issue with the stoppage. But we know how tough Brad Tavares is. Listen, man, I love Chris Weidman, but we've not seen a lot of people come back from this kind of injury and, and get back to, I mean, Anderson Silva, the greatest of all time, obviously got it Chris beat, but when Anderson went through that, I don't think Anderson was ever quite the same. Now, you could argue Anderson was older, you know, but it's not like Chris is a young guy. It's not like Chris is 28 going through this. He's 38, I think, 37, 38. He's an older guy, too. What I don't know, like what should we expect out of Chris Weidman? Like I want, like how could you not root for the guy coming back from a broken leg? But dude, Brad Tavares hits like a truck. He's incredibly, he's a Hawaiian, incredibly tough dude. Um, and it there's not, I know there's not a long track record of guys going through this injury, but there's definitely not a long track record of guys coming back from this serious of an injury and finding success. You're not, you're not. I, I tell you what we can expect right away is a non-kicking Chris Weidman. He's not throwing kicks. I mean, y- you break your leg like that, it it, it it's going to have that complacency in your head, that 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 hesitation. You know, like everybody, Chris Weidman, let me, he has had more injuries than probably anybody in the UFC. Let me throw that out there. So he's no stranger to this. Um, I've talked to Chris Weidman when I had my neck surgery. He had the neck surgery multiple times knee surgery so when you come back from an acl there's always a little bit of hesitation do i want to throw those kicks how am i going to look you obviously you went through a two three month camp so you know that you're there but doing it in a fight feels a little bit different but when you snap your leg in half like that you saw anderson silver we're talking about the comparisons of guys coming back from this injury anderson silver didn't throw any more leg kicks low kicks after he snapped his leg and even his high kicks he wouldn't turn him over anymore. He wouldn't throw it a lot of power. He wasn't really throwing to the body where he might hit an elbow or something. A lot of times they were just throwing him up there, maybe let it glance off the top of the head. He took, he was older, but it took that weapon, that eight limbs. He took two limbs away because Anderson became not a kicker. He became a boxer after his, his leg injury. So the good thing that Chris Weidman has going for him is he has that wrestling in his back pocket. He's going to have to f- f- figure out a way in that nervous energy when you're at that six-foot distance stance and it's that nervous energy to just say, I'm not going to throw a kick. Or maybe he wants to. I'm not saying he can't throw it. Obviously, his leg's healed. But he probably, a lot of fighters rely on that. When there's that long energy and you don't want to dive in with a punch and get into the fire just yet, so they throw kicks. It's feelers. I start touching. I feel me hitting the guy. Now I start inching a bit closer. He's going to have to find a new way around that because I don't see him wanting to throw those kicks anymore. Obviously, when he broke his leg, I think it was on the inside of the, or was it outside? Was Uriah Hall standing um, uh, southpaw? I don't remember what stance he was standing. Yeah, I care. I care what stance he was in. Yeah, I can't. I know. It was, I want to say it was outside, but I can't. I'd have to. I'd have to watch the video to remember. Right. It normally happens more with open stance fighters, like Anderson Silva did with Chris Weidman, and that's how I've broken my foot three times in the UFC inside kicks. That was a southpaw. He might not have that 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 problem in this. They might be both standing orthodox. Nonetheless, I don't see him throwing the kicks, right? So he's going to have to find a way to use his boxing to get in the inside, use the feints, and sit back on that wrestling. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the path to victory right there um, against somebody as good on their feet as Brad Chavars. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I mean, listen, there's you know, no one in the UFC is going to be an easy fight. That that's you know, that's just out of your head. But 
they're not giving Chris like a give me here. Like Brad Tavares is incredibly tough dude. We've seen Brad go five rounds with Israel Adesanya. Like this dude is not just going to go away. And when I talked to Brad, he said, listen, it's a great story. You know, we all, you know, we, we all understand what Chris went through, but I'm not here to be someone's, you know, a, a chapter in someone else's book. Uh, he knows that, you know, he's off a couple losses. Um, he's motivated. And listen, like I said, man, somebody coming, somebody, somebody coming back from that series of an injury, you wonder, as you said, how does it affect him mentally? Like, does he just stop throwing kicks? Even wrestling-wise, like dropping down to that knee and pushing through a double leg, is he going to have that same energy to do that? Is there going to be any nerves with that? I mean, I don't know, man. And like I said, Chris had gone through some some tough fights before he had that win over Ekmetov and then obviously going into the Uriah Hall fight. Like, we always remember Chris Weidman as a champion, but you said, like, Age works against everybody. Like, this is not a Chris Weidman thing. You know what I mean? And again, if Chris Weidman was coming back from this injury at 28, 29, maybe we'd have a different conversation. At 37, 38, whatever he is now, and being out for two years, I mean, that's a that's a, that's a big hill to climb. And now let's think about what happens, right? Chris Weidman, if he gets the victory on Saturday night, Chris, Chris is a championship mindset, right? Now, he's, you know what he's going to say? I'm back, baby. I'm back. I did it. I came back from this. I want another shot at the belt. That's going to be his mindset. It's going to be even more tough fights, more tough road. But Chris, he's he's got the mindset for it, right? It's gotta, he's got to get going, though, because it, if, he, if he does get a victory, and at the age that you said he is, what is it, 36, 37, 38, around then, he doesn't have a lot of time. Um Fortunately, he's in a division right now that kind of needs more guys, right? They need new blood. They need they need guys. So um, I think we actually could see if if Chris got a victory, beat Tra- bad, Brad Tavares. Um, we could see him leapfrog some people because of his name, because of being a former champion, because he brings the wrestling aspect in a division right now that's kind of uh, has strikers at the top. So um, there is a possibility in some world where – <laughs> we see Chris Weidman possibly fighting for a belt. I mean, after all this, I mean, it, it's 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 not it's not too far fetched, is what I'm getting at. He has to ensure this victory, but then that that division is somewhat wide open in there. It's also crazy what a roller coaster the result of this fight could bring because a win. I agree. I mean, listen, he wins. I mean, you know, honestly, I mean, there's a reason why Sean Strickland is fighting. Israel Adesanya when Drakus wasn't available because Adesanya's beaten everybody else. He's beaten Cannonier, he's beaten Vittori, he's beaten everybody else that would be a contender right now. You know, Robert Whitaker, everyone else. So, yeah, it's Drakus and it's it's Sean Strickland's kind of getting, and I don't mean this like in a bad way to Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland's getting the title shot by default. Let's be honest. Like, he's not getting it because he went through a murderous row of guys. He's getting it because Drakus Duplessis couldn't fight after the Robert Whitaker fight. So, yeah, but then the other side is he loses to Brad Tavares coming off that broken leg. Like, we could be talking about maybe this is the last one. Like maybe maybe it's Wyman's last run. Like, it's a weird – it's a huge swing for the ramifications. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Alan, like, we're all – listen, we're all going to be kind of quietly rooting for Chris Wyman because, you know, dealing with that broken leg. He thought at one point his career was over, all these kind of things. Man, and Chris is a nice guy. Like, Chris is a good dude. That being said – I won't be shocked if Brad Tavares wins this fight. He hits like a truck. He's super tough. Good takedown defense. Trains at a great camp at Extreme Couture. I will not be the least bit surprised if Brad Tavares wins this fight. And and, and now that we're talking about it, 
I won't be surprised if we see some gloves in the center of the octagon if Chris Wyman loses. Because what does he have left to prove? The guy's a former champion. The guy beat Anderson Silva twice. The guy defied the odds. He 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 was Team America when nobody wanted to jump on board. Right. That's that's when I think Chris Weidman in his prime, or I think Chris Weidman before all the all this injury. I think about the young Chris Weidman with that American flag over his head, with his dad in the center of the octagon saying. Come with me, guys. I'm the real deal. I'm going to make this happen. And he shocked the world. He 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 shocked the world. And, and he's done it. He's got no more to prove. And so this, for him at this age, is saying, I could still do it. I've still got that fire. I want to test myself. As I said, with a win, he could find himself jumping the rankings. But with a loss, I don't see him saying, you know what? Okay, now I'm a gatekeeper. Now I'm a big name that's at the bottom of the division, and people are gonna just going to give me these tough fights, and I'm going to make these mediocre paydays. I don't see him wanting to do that. So with a loss, he might consider that retirement, which I think is not a bad idea. I mean, he's working his way into the broadcast stuff now. He's he's, he's He does a ton of uh, podcasts. Uh, I mean, he he's hilarious on those weigh-in shows. So he's got a career after fighting, and he's made his money. He has no more to prove, really. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a weird... Big swing for Chris Weibin this weekend. Um, Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Another fight on the main card I want to touch on real quickly before we get to the main and co-main event, of course. Pedro Munoz taking on Marlon Chito Vera. And Chito was originally going to fight Henry Cejudo. That was a massive fight, Henry coming back. Um, I Listen, I am always a believer in a little bit of an emotional letdown when you're getting up for a big fight. You have to get a replacement. You always have to be careful. I'm a big believer in that. You have to be careful not to overlook a guy. And Pedro Munoz is a guy who I believe has never been finished. You know, he's a guy who will stick in there and, and give you a fight from the first bell to the last, and he has knockout power. Listen, is Cheeto, is Cheeto Vera the favorite? Yeah, he's the favorite. Am I picking Cheeto Vera to win? Yes, I'm picking Cheeto Vera to win. 
But Pedro Munoz is one of those dudes, man. I just don't doubt him, and he never goes away. And it's going to be – and listen, I, I'm talking about the other stuff in the fight because it is an interesting – I mean, listen, I know the Henderson-Sudo fight kind of came and went within like two weeks or whatever it was, but to go from – Maybe one of the greatest UFC champions of all time, an icon of our sport. Not that Pedro Munoz isn't good. He's just not as accomplished as Henry Sudo. I don't think, I think Pedro Munoz would tell you that. Um, I wonder, like, is there any emotional letdown for Cheeto? I don't think there will be. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy, but there's always a risk of that. Well, it's interesting you say that. So when you say, you talk about, is there going to be emotional letdown for Cheeto? We're, we are referring to to the mindset, right? We're, ta we're talking about he's got the physical capabilities. We've seen when he's firing on all cylinders how good Cheeto is. What happened in his last fight? The mentality wasn't there. He didn't perform. Now, all fighters have those days where they just feel flat. It's just something you wake out of, up, out of bed and not seven days a week do you wake up and go, I'm ready to go on this five-mile run. Sometimes you just aren't there, and he had one of those nights. What I'm looking for in this fight, though, did he correct all those mistakes? Did he figure out and did he go sit down with his coach? And did he say, what went wrong that night? Why was I not flat? And not only was I, I, you start flat, but what's my trigger? What's my switch to flip it back on? That fireman's speech, what can be done to get me there? You know, with me and a lot of fighters, when you bring up your family, when you bring up your kid, when you, when you tug at those emotional strings, uh, I always felt invincible. When my coach would talk about your son's in the stands, Alan, I, I get goosebumps right now because I, I felt like nobody in the world could beat me. And I, I hope that after that last outing where he underperformed, that he went back and found out, let me watch the tape. Let me see why I didn't do it. And let me figure out mentally what's going to spark that in me because I can't afford to have that ha happen again. And so he's fighting a lesser of a name somewhat in Pedro. Um, but this has got to be the fight that proves the naysayers wrong in terms of I still am that guy. I just had an off night. I was flat and, and that was it. He needs to correct that mistake. Now we talk about Pedro, as you said, Pedro's a dog. Pedro's a dog. We trained together for years at Black House. Pedro is one of the just toughest and well-rounded guys um, that I've trained with. He's just so good in the gym and he's a leader in the gym. The guys, he's a leader. He likes to demand everyone to just always work hard and he gets in there. What's been tough for Pedro is just what he's genetically is as a fighter is a guy that's a dog. And what is a dog? A guy that gets hit too, right? And so he's he's had trouble with guys that have the longer range, the longer reach, and that are willing to sit there and trade with him. Because trade Pedro will eat a punch to try to get a punch. He's tough to finish. But I could see Cheeto looking for that path to victory, being the longer fighter, peppering him make Pedro try to swing in the pocket and make him swing and miss. Um, but Pedro's not going anywhere. And if Cheeto has an off night, Pedro's going to jump on him. And let's also not forget, like for Cheeto, I'm, I, I assume, I mean, somewhere deep in the, in the recesses of his mind, yes, he's coming off a loss to Corey Sandhagen. There's certainly no shame in that, but he also knows like two fights after him or three fights. I don't know what the exact bout order is, but three fights after him, Sean O'Malley's fighting for a world title. If Sean O'Malley could pull off the upset and beat Aljamain Sterling, um, mm. Cheeto Vera has a win over Sean O'Malley. And I know, I know Sean O'Malley loves point. to talk about I'm undefeated, but listen, we know he has a loss to Cheeto Vera. I'm sure he'd like to get that one back. Cheeto yeah. immediately becomes the title contender. Sean O'Malley can pull it off, and become champion. Cheeto Vera with one win immediately becomes a title contender because do you think so though? Do you think he, he, he jumps Sanhagen? 
because, because I think because O'Malley's star power, if he becomes champion, O'Malley he'll immediately call it, be, he'll call that fight. He, I guarantee he wants that Cheeto fight back. I'm not saying it'll be next, but I think he, I think Cheeto reestablishes himself in a much quicker way if O'Malley becomes champion. Because if Aljo stays champion, we'll talk about that in a second, but. If O'Malley can become champion, yes, there's a, like the Sandhagen fights out there, the 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 Cejudo fights out there, but the Cheetah rematch, getting that loss back, I think I, I'm not saying it'll happen, but it's gonna be it's gonna be in the thought process. Whereas if if Aljamain wins, no one's gonna mention Cheeto as a contender because he's coming off a loss to Corey Sandy, even beating even beating Pedro Munoz, even a good win over Munoz, he's still at least a couple fights away. He beats Pedro Munoz and and O'Malley wins. I'm not saying it's next, but it becomes a conversation. Definitely a conversation. So here's where I I agree and and I disagree with you. Uh, I I love this topic because what O'Malley has going for him is what do all the fighters in the division always get mad at O'Malley about? Because they say you picked your fights, man. They fed you everybody in the UFC that you wanted to fight and and they built O'Malley in the right way and look what they got. They got the product that they wanted from Dana White Contender Series, which is what they love to promote. They gave him the right type of fights to make him shine. It was a showcase fights against other strikers. He was able to pass those tests and they got him to the gold. Now he's going to fight for the belt. A tough matchup, but they have him in the opportunity. Now he he has to, he, it's all on him now, right? With the win, he does have the star power, and it's been a, tr- a trend, a pattern throughout his whole career where he likes to call the shots in wood fights. And if and if you got a guy selling tickets, does it really matter? I mean, you know, maybe to the diehards, but if the guy says, I want to fight number seven and then set at number four, does it really matter? He's got star power. You're going to watch it. You've seen that with Conor McGregor. So I agree with you on that one. Where I disagree with you is you look at the division, and they just have so many guys that are so deserving. You look at Marab. Marab is right there just waiting. I mean, he's ahead of my Ma- O'Malley, right? I think yeah. Marab is number one. O'Malley's number two. But obviously, Marab and, and Aljo are teammates. So Marab is right there saying, look, I'm fighting next win or lose. Because Aljo said, if I win, I'm going up a division. So Marab has to feel win or lose, whatever's happening, I'm fighting for the belt next. And then you have freaking Corey Sandhagen, the mm-hmm. excellent striker that puts on these flying knees and has the O'Malley style on the feet who turned into a damn wrestler. And now how are we going to deal with that shit? So it's a tough place. But um, so like I said, I, I, I somewhat disagree with you because I think they have two more deserving guys. But that doesn't matter when you have star power. We've seen it with Conor McGregor and we're going to see it again with O'Malley if he becomes champ. I 100% agree. Marab's the guy. I mean, I 100% agree. And I think he should get it. He He definitely should. But like I said... When it comes to star power, all bets are off. You know what I mean? And and if, if O'Malley just suddenly, you know, if if, if if Cheeto goes out there and and let's say he does pull off a finish, I, I I'm picking him to win, but I don't I don't think he finishes. O'Malley? You're picking O'Malley? No, I no, no, I mean I'm picking uh, uh picking Cheeto to win. Sorry, picking Cheeto, Cheeto. Gotcha. Yeah, Cheeto to win, but I don't think he finishes Pedro Munoz because nobody finishes Pedro Munoz. Like that dude's just incredibly tough. It's three rounds. But if he can somehow go out there and become the first guy to put Pedro away, catches him, and we know Cheeto has power. Big knockout, gets on the mic, talks about O'Malley. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like I said, if O'Malley can pull it off, I just there's somewhere deep in my mind. And also, and I mean this with absolutely no disrespect to, to, to Cheeto Vera, 
Would you rather fight Cheeto Vera next or Murad Dewalishvili? Would you rather have a guy who is probably going to stand and trade and, and give you that kind of fight? Or you want a relentless little Tasmanian devil who's going to be yeah. chucking you on your back for 25 minutes and coming after you like a like a spark plug like you did Peter Yan? I'm and just possibly, saying. And, <laughs> just, and, and, and not only O'Malley, even though he has a voice in a conversation, but who does the UFC want to see, right? Yeah. O'Malley becomes the champ. Oh, now we have a, a pay-per-view draw. Now we got a guy that's going to talk it. He's going to come dress flashy. He's going to put on these exciting fights. Do we give him a rob? Do, do we drown <laughs> him in muddy water for 25 minutes? Or do we give him? So he has, as you say, it's a tricky situation. I do think the stars have to align. I think Cheetah would have to find a way to get a finish. I think um, O'Malley would have to win that fight and then possibly even get on the uh, get on the on the mic on the octagon and say, I'm going to avenge that never lost, that never happened. You know, they would have to make all those things happen. Um, but um, there's just so many people waiting in the wing that are so deserving right now. No, I agree. I agree. I know we're bouncing around a little bit. We, we've already kind of started talking about it, so let's just get into it because we're going to talk about the co-main event as well, which is kind of become a little bit of the forgotten fight on this card, but let's talk about the main event. We're already talking about Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley taking on Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling, of course, coming off the win over Henderson, which, by the way, to this day, I still don't understand the split decision. I had it 4-1 Aljo, nothing against Henderson, but I thought Aljo won that pretty clearly, but again, that's a whole other subject for another day with the judging in this sport. Aljo's another title. <laughs> Aljo, Aljamain Sterling has become I think he is probably at this point the most disrespected champion in the UFC by like a wide margin. Now, mm-hmm. none of it's his fault by the way, but you know, the the illegal knee with Peter Yan, not his fault. Peter Yan did it, but the narrative coming out of that, he's an actor, he's an Academy Award winner, he was pretending to be hurt, whatever, not his fault. He beats Peter Yan in the rematch. I thought it was an incredible performance. He goes out and beats TJ Dillashaw, but then TJ Dillashaw, oh, my shoulders were all messed up. It wasn't healthy. I wasn't really there, blah, blah, blah. So there's that other asterisk. Then he goes out and has a legitimately good fight with Henry Cejudo, who is as good as advertised, you know what I mean? But somehow the narrative just went away real quick because we moved so quickly in the O'Malley fight, which almost like we glossed over. He just beat in my opinion, one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time in Henry Cejudo, uh, and four to one, in my opinion, to beat him four rounds to one. Aljamain Sterling might be the most disrespected champion in the UFC, but that being said, Alan, this is probably the first time since he's been champion where it feels like the momentum's on his side. Like everyone, I, yeah. I've heard, I've heard very few people picking Sean O'Malley. I'm not saying they're not. Oh, Sean O'Malley can do this. Sean O'Malley can do that. But I've heard very few experts that I trust telling me Sean O'Malley has a great chance of pulling this off. This is like the one time where Aljamain's going into a fight where it seems like the majority of people are like, yeah, I think Aljo's going to win. Aljo's been mad at me for a minute because I, I don't I don't I haven't picked for him. I You look at his career as a champion and these matchups and it was just so hard to pick Aljo because he's going against these killers and 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 you figure if you get a good enough grappler who can stifle Aljo's grappling, his his key his path to victory, that's that's where he becomes mortal. If you stuff his takedowns and make him stand with you, 
but he's passed all the tests. And I'm not disrespecting Aljo anymore. He's proven to me he is as good as advertised. I've broken him down before. He's really good everywhere. An early Aljo in his career, Damon, this was a guy that kicked from far, that nervous energy that I was talking about earlier. He was a kicker from nervous energy, and then he was kick his way into grappling where he was dominant. But there wasn't a, month, a lot of boxing. You know the fight that he blossomed into a full, well-rounded mixed martial artist was against Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz, as I said, he's a dog. He gets into the pocket. Aljo in that fight boxed him up. Aljo showed his boxing. He showed that he knows how to use range, how to get into the fire, slide in and out, evade, land, use his range. He's actually a long guy. He's got long arms. He's got long legs. He was always using the kicks. Now he has the punches. He showed that he could go through the best guys in the world. He's he's ready for this matchup. Uh, I think it, no nobody's picking O'Malley because it's a horrible matchup for O'Malley. That's what makes me nervous, though. That's what makes me nervous for Aljo because he's been the dog for so long and he's been getting so much hate for so long that he's become accustomed to it. Let me prove them wrong. I'm going to prove the world wrong. Now they give him the perfect matchup against the guy that he said he will choke out in the first round. Is is he going to is he going to slip this one up? Is he going to get caught? Are we going to see What's that fight that Aljo got head kicked or knee? Do you remember? Marlon Marias. I mean, yeah, Marlon Marias. Marlon Marias, another really good striker who's able to hide his kicks well. Very good speed. Um, when when I think about this matchup, who's the most comparable person in the UFC to Sean O'Malley in that division? It would probably be Corey Sanhagen. Terrific striker, long guy, moves well, switches stances, has a lot of feints. What happened when Corey Sanhagen fought Aljo Sterling? It did not go good for Sanhagen. So how can you not lean for Aljo? O'Malley has to find a way to stay off of that fence the entire 25 minutes. If he could stay in the center of the octagon and show Aljo feints and make Aljo second guess his shots, his entry, I think that's going to be the story of the fight. Is not so much what happens on the ground, but the entry right there. Because if Aljo has to really be cautious, if he gets caught with something on that entry because he's second guessing or he's biting on a feint or something... That's where it's, it could slip up for him, but um, yeah, you, you'd have to you'd have to look at Aljo in this fight and say this is a tailor made matchup that he's been wanting. Is it just going to go wrong for him because he's been so used to just trying to prove everybody wrong, and now he's going to be a big favorite, I would imagine. Yeah, and I I agree there because there's always that danger, right? Like when people finally start picking you, like do you start believing it yourself? You know, and I. I think there's enough here with O'Malley, how much O'Malley talks and, and the hype around him that I think I think Aljamain understands that this is his Khabib Connor moment. You know what I mean? Like Aljamain is a champion, but he's still not really a big star necessarily. You know, Khabib was an incredible champion, one of the most dominant fighters in the UFC, but he needed that Connor fight to kind of make him a superstar. Um, I think that's what Aljamain recognizes here and it all goes away if he loses I mean if he loses you know no one's gonna be like oh man Aljamain you were such a great champion we're just gonna move on to Sean O'Malley or let's just I'm not but the the world is let's be honest the world's just gonna jump on the Sean O'Malley train I think he understands that so I don't think he's gonna take this fight lightly but I always go back when I had uh we did one of these podcasts back two years ago whatever it was and I had Anthony Smith on and we were breaking down Peter Yan. And Sean O'Malley. And I was picking Peter Yan because I said, you know, Peter Yan is just so good. He's such a good boxer. He hits so hard. And Anthony said something to me at the time that I it, it has continued to stick in my mind ever since. He said, 
Peter Yan is the one top-ranked bantamweight that I think O'Malley has a chance against. And he said basically because he is so long and so rangy and hits hard that he could give Yan problems because Yan is a shorter, stockier bantamweight. How did the fight play out? Very close, but that's what it was. O'Malley's length, his reach, his, his power gave Yan some trouble from the outside. But Anthony told me, he's like, the fights that Sean O'Malley does not want to see are Corey Sandhagen, Aljamain Sterling, the long, tall bantamweights who are going to match him in size and just have better skills. Corey Sandhagen being a better striker, Aljamain Sterling being the better grappler. That is always stuck in my head from that moment. So, yeah, Aljamain Sterling should win this fight. I'm picking him to win this fight. You mentioned the um, you mentioned the uh, the Corey Sandhagen fight. I think Aljamain is smart enough to know that he can strike with Sean O'Malley. I think he can. I think he's a good enough striker to hang with Sean O'Malley. But where's the danger there? It's it's Sean O'Malley catching you. If Aljamain gets him down, though, I'm not saying it's a wrap, but it's close to a wrap because that is the last guy in the world you want on top of you throwing elbows, moving because Aljamain is a Al, what makes Aljamain so good on the ground is he's not only a good wrestler, but he's an incredible submission artist. So he will elbow you, take you down, elbow you. And as soon as you roll to get away from the elbows, he will wrap you up like an anaconda and choke you out. And there I are, think we're going to see, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just say, I just say there are matchups that could be bad for Aljamain. I think Aljamain's gone through those bad matchups. Henry Cejudo yeah. was potentially a bad matchup. He beat Henry Cejudo. Peter Yan was potentially a bad matchup because he was such good takedown defense. He beat Peter Yan. I don't, I, I know I'm talking about I know I'm I'm setting myself up for disaster, Alan, by saying that I, I just think I just think Aljamain Sterling has a path to victory and, and I do see him going out and, and succeeding in this fight. But again, I know I'm setting myself up for disaster. That's like me saying seven fights to seven finishes. I'm setting myself up for disaster by being mm-hmm. so strong in the Aljamain Sterling corner. But I, I really do. I just think he has a, an incredible path to victory here. And I think for me, O'Malley has won. He has to catch mm-hmm. Aljamain on the feet. I don't think he can out-grapple him. I don't think he's just going to be able to just straight up outbox him for five rounds. He could potentially, but I think Sean O'Malley needs to knock out Aljamain Sterling. I think Aljamain Sterling can win a decision. He can out-wrestle him. He can out-grapple him. He can submit him. Mm-hmm. I'm picking Aljamain Sterling because I think he has more ways to win. And I think we're also going to see a um, a strength difference here. Aljamain Sterling is one of the pound for pound strongest guys in that division. You just his athletic build. I mean, his, just his genetics alone, his work rate. I mean, going in the gym with Marab, guys like that all the time. I mean, he's just got that kind of like he could do that for twenty five minutes, and he's the better wrestler than O'Malley. But I think if he gets him against the fence. I think we're just going to see him be able to lift and elevate him and slam him and just kind of have his way with him there. I think he'll probably get the finish as well. But I don't think there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of Aljo pushing him on the fence and having to fight from the double leg to the single leg to the knee tap. I think he's going to be able to wrap him up and just be the stronger fighter right there. I think we're going to see a big physicality difference right there. So although although O'Malley is the lo- a long guy and, and he likes to stay, be a sniper on the outside, I don't know if I want to see Aljo play the middle game. It sounds kind of um, contradicting. Con- contradicting. I think that Aljo could kind of play the kicking game from the outside, pick and choose his smart entries, push him against the fence, and there go full full in. But um, it's that mid-level range on the entry that I think O'Malley's going to have his opportunity in this fight. 
Yeah, and listen, I listen, I, I have absolutely nothing against Sean O'Malley, but the one thing that a lot of people have said about him and the one thing Dal just brought up, and I, I tend to agree, is that I still think there's a lot of unknowns with Sean O'Malley. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't have to walk through the fire. He beat Peter Yan. Okay, good. Even though that was a really close fight, a lot of people think Peter Yan won that fight. I did score O'Malley winning that fight. But that's the one really – he didn't even get going against Pedro Munoz. Fight ended and, you know, it was it was pretty much a, a standstill on the feet and then the eye poke happened and, and it never really got anywhere. He lost to Cheeto Vera. Again, there's no shame in that. But, like, if he had beaten a Corey Sandhagen, maybe I'd be more confident in Sean mm-hmm. O'Malley. If he had beaten a, a Henry Suda, if he had beaten, you know, a Marab Dewalishvili. But he hasn't done that. And I just – I'm not sold that I know what Sean O'Malley is yet. Like he's a good, he's a very good fighter. I'm not, I'm not discounting him as a very good fighter. Is he a championship level fight? Like if he was fighting Marab right now, I'd pick Marab to beat him. If he's fighting Henry Cejudo right now, I'd probably pick Henry Cejudo to beat Sean O'Malley. Um, I can't pick him to beat Aljamain Sterling based on on the credentials alone. I just think that Sean. I'm not saying Sean has the Dana White privilege, but. I think he did get here more by superstardom than really accomplishments. Did he beat Peter Jan? Absolutely. On his record. But did he walk through the fire to get here? I don't think so. Agreed. And so this is, on the other side, this is what Sean has going for him. You know, my my biggest question with Sean, aside from what you just said, not having to really go through the fire, kind of somewhat picking favorable matchups, was his durability. And, and, And does Sean have heart? Right, because snipers are snipers. What is a sniper? A long distance person. You never have to look somebody in the eyes. You never have to get in close. It's not hand to hand combat. You're snipering somebody from far, and he is a master at snipering people. We hadn't really seen him get hurt or seen how he deals with being in a war. And my biggest question mark because the few fights that we had seen that Cheeto with the leg, the uh, the the nerve, the leg kick. That, that same injury had happened to other fighters before, Michael Chandler, other ones as well. And they still tried to fight. When that nerve pain happened to Sean O'Malley, he chose to, to I say chose, but you know what I'm saying? He kind of gave up. He kind of gave up, if we're being honest. Um, where other fighters had fought through that for two minutes, they went back to their corner, they let the leg heal, they went on and continued to fight. Sean kind of made it seem like his leg was broken when it was really just kind of a deadening of the nerve for a while. Super uncomfortable. But that gave me a little hesitation in the heart. Also, you look back at Sean O'Malley's history, that Sukumwit, I can't remember his name, the kind of uh, Thai guy. Andre Sukum, I can't remember. I know you're talking about, yeah. That guy. He's no longer in the UFC, very tough guy. That guy had Sean O'Malley beat, and Sean had got kicked in the leg. His leg was hurt. That guy decided to take Sean down and give Sean the victory. If he'd have stayed on his feet, he would have beat Sean. Um, He made a bonehead decision. But again, Sean got kicked in a leg, and he just and he he did, that, he did that famous interview from his back with Joe Rogan. Now I don't, I'm not trying to be tough on Sean O'Malley, but again, I, I, I favor fighters, fighters. I favor guys like Poirier's guys that go through the trenches, guys that I I myself, as I said, I've broken my foot three times, I've broken my hand. I never have been stretched out of the octagon. I've never done an interview on my back. I've never made an excuse, whatever you know. And so Sean had looked for kind of somewhat excuses in the past that like, you know, so I, I questioned his heart. Now let me get that negative out of the way. Cause I don't like being a negative guy. What Sean showed me was in that, in that win against Peter Jan is he does have heart. 
Sean could fight right there. Sean, that was the toughest fight of his life. He had never been in a war, and he went in a war with one of the best guys in the world who was relentless and kept taking him down. Sean found a way to get back to his feet, land that knee up the middle, cut him, ate big shots in that fight, and continued to press forward. So I learned something about Sean in that fight, that he does have that dog in him. He just didn't even know it. He had never been tested. So he's got that in him. He's going to have to use that. If he gets taken down repeatedly against Aljamain Sterling, He's going to have to dig deep and just say, I got to keep weathering the storm. Even if I have to lay on my back for five minutes, get to the next round where it starts to get on the feet and find that opportunity where you can finish the fight. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Yeah. So in terms of picks, I'm going with Aljamain. It sounds like you're going with Aljamain as well. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. Let me yeah. here's the here's the landmine question before we move on to the co-main event. There's already people this is I think the Bantamweight division might be along with lightweight and welterweight the best division in our sport right now. Bantamweight's on fire right now. But the, those are the, the three in my head as well. Yeah. And I know because people are talking about this going into this fight, and I think we gotta talk about it, which is Algerine Sterling cementing himself as the best Bantamweight of all time. Now, it's a it's an I say it's an easier discussion for Bantamweight for one big reason. There's not a clear cut number one guy. You could say Dominic Cruz. Absolutely he's he's got the credentials between WEC and, and, and UFC, but so much of his career was, was ruined by injury. We can't ignore that. And since he's come back, did he did he beat TJ Dillashaw to become champion? Yes. But, you know, Dominic has not quite gotten back there again. He's older now. Incredible, but it's it's hard. And also, again, he didn't he didn't do it all in the UFC. Some of it's in WC. I'm not saying that doesn't count. It absolutely counts. But again, there's that. TJ Dillashaw. And, and, go, and a yeah. lot of the guys it just Dom's a legend, but yeah. a lot of those wins were tainted because they said he was fighting 125ers as well, right? When yeah, yeah. Well, he fought, I mean, he beat Demetrius Johnson. I mean, Demetrius Johnson won the greatest of all time, but Demetrius Johnson is not a true bantamweight. He's just not. Right. We know he's a flyweight. We're just putting um, it out there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um TJ Dillashaw could make a slight compelling argument. You know, he, you know, obviously had a very close fight with Dominic. He had the two wins over Cody Garbrandt, two-time champion, all those kind of things. But again, there's, I mean, even if we don't bring up the PD thing, we don't bring that up. And you know, obviously I know he lost to Henderson at flyaway, but I don't know that I look at Garbrandt's overall record and sorry, me, uh, Dillashaw's overall record and say, that's an all time legendary record. Cause he was injured. He was out, and and then obviously you deal with the the two year suspension. He missed out on a lot of the fights that maybe could have gotten him to that level because he was suspended. You look at Sterling though. Now, yes, we have the whole mess with uh, the whole mess with uh, Jan the first time around, but he got his revenge in the rematch. I didn't think that was a controversial decision. I thought he won three rounds to two, and I think one of those rounds, still to this day, I argue should have been a ten eight in that second round. He was dominant. Had him battered on the on the ground, but again, neither here nor there. He beats TJ Dillashaw, and again, I don't I don't care that TJ was injured. TJ stepped in there to fight. That's on TJ. That's not Aljamain's fault. If TJ was injured and he couldn't fight, he shouldn't have fought. He did. He lost. Henry Cejudo 
to me, one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. He beats him, again, my opinion, four rounds to one. I don't think that he needs Sean O'Malley to cement himself, but it's a title defense, so it matters. If he beats Sean O'Malley, I think he's the greatest bantamweight of all time. And I'm saying that it's a scale because, again, we don't really have – we don't have a Demetrius Johnson to judge by. We don't have a guy that's, like, clearly the number – we don't have John Jones. We don't have Anderson Silva. We don't have that cemented number one guy that is pretty much universally considered – the greatest of that weight class, right? So it's a little easier of an argument to make. But I think if Aljamain could go out there and beat Sean O'Malley, I'd have, an, I'd have a hard time arguing against that idea based on anyone else that's out there. And again, I know it's a hard it's a hard question to answer, Alan, because we don't have a huge list of resume of guys of bantamweight, but I think that's also why we can make that argument for Aljamain because there isn't a guy out there with eight title defenses and and you know like because I get the argument with Jose Aldo and and Volkanovski I've argued that I think Volkanovski is the greatest and people push back and say well he doesn't have seven title defenses against Aldo they're right they're not wrong about that you know what I mean there's nobody at bantamweight that can claim that no one can say I have three four title defenses I have wins over ex champions I have this this and this Aljamain does. This isn't a hard one for me. Um, with a win over O'Malley, he a thousand percent becomes the go to that division, right? Even with a loss, I saw John Anik was talking about this all week, and so I said, "Let me look into this, man," because I was already on the same page as him, I believe. But I, you look at the resume, and you just went through it all. You look at the guys that he's beat, the names that he's beat in a time that this is the hottest division, being considered the hottest division in the UFC. We're not comparing times when the this division was nobody was watching. This is the time where this is the hottest division in the UFC right now with all these killers, and he's the guy with the belt around his waist. So how is he not the greatest of all time in this division? Now, this is where you mentioned the backstory, too, with the knee, with uh, Piotr Jan and all that stuff. The only thing, really, that I, I strongly feel that people – don't give him the credit is because the path to victory, because a lot of times he will, you know, he'll go to decision. He'll ride guys out. And if he was knocking them out, they would probably see this differently. But at the end of the day, it's not who's the more fan friendly fighter who got more knockouts, who got more submissions. It's about the green or the red on, on and the name next to it. And he's got more green against more former champions and bigger names than anybody in the division. As I said, I have to say it one more time while the division is the hottest it has ever been in the, in, in the UFC. So to me, it's without a doubt, um, w without a doubt with a win over O'Malley, but even with a loss, even if he gets knocked out in the first round, you compare what has been done already, his resume speaks more than anybody else's. I think the fact that we have to have this argument really comes down to what we talked to before, where people don't want to give Aljamain his flowers. You know what I mean? And I think it. All, I think I swear. I think it all. It's the style. The, it's just, they don't like the style. And I as think, you said it started with the knee thing, but it, it, they don't like to see a guy riding the back. Yeah, it's the style and I think the knee thing. I think you put those two things together, there's just like this weird like bias against Aljamain and like the popular opinion. But when you look at it and we can't really look what he did to Corey like I know in the title fight, but look what he did to Corey Sanhagen. He, and he if he's out. Sanhagen's O'Malley, <laughs> what better way to cement himself in, in, in history right now but not only with another win cementing it, but with the finish, with the yeah. finish. So if I'm Aljo, everything that we've been speaking about this entire broad podcast, 
is at stake for him. There's so much on the line because he will cement himself or have another huge feather in his cap with O'Malley. But get the finish, man. You go in there and you dominate O'Malley, a guy that's been knocking everybody out. You go in there and you just ragdoll him. There's no question about it. There's no question. Well, I think you said it, John Anik said, I think you said it right there as well. Like, I think the argument can already be made he's the greatest of the division. You know what I mean? But like, obviously we got a title, you know, we got a title fight a matter of days away. The narrative changes off a winner or a loss. We all know we're all, we're all guilty of that in some respect, right? Like we're all guilty of being reactionary to what actually happens right away. But you can make the argument Aljamain is already the greatest of all time in that division. But to me, there's, if you, if you argue against it in any way, shape or form, He'll settle that argument if he beats Sean O'Malley on Saturday night because who yeah. else is there? The only guy that he hasn't beaten is Marab Dewalishvili, who is his teammate and best friend. They've been clear they're not going to fight each other. I respect the hell out of them for for taking that stance. I always remember Matt Brown, something he said to me a long time ago, and we talked about that, and I loved this quote. He said, I fought a lot of teammates. I fought training partners. I would never fight a friend. I love yeah. that quote because that's a little different with them. They're not just training partners. They're roommates. They live next door to each other in Vegas. Like yeah. they are more than this. So that's the one guy out there and they're never going to fight. Who else hasn't he beaten? And I don't want to see that fight. Why, why do you want to see two friends with similar styles fight each other? It becomes a sparring match. It, 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 you don't want to see it. There's not. We saw it in the PFL with that Natan Schultz, uh, House Manfio fight, two best friends. They didn't want to fight each other. I get it. Like they did not want to fight each other. That's what you're going to get. You, you know what makes exciting fights? Danger. Okay. Danger. The thought that at any second, something dangerous could happen. That's what keeps you on the edge of your seat. That's why you're like, holy crap. If he didn't have his hand up, he'd be waking up in the hospital right now. You might get your skull fractured. Danger does that. Friends fighting each other. It's clean shots and then respect. It's everything's. It's not dangerous. It's not enough. I don't want to see that fight. Yeah, So, but outside of that, who else could he beat? I mean, there's nobody else, really. He beat Sandhagen. Yeah. If he beats if he beats O'Malley, uh, and he already beat Yanni, he already beat Cejudo, who else is he supposed to beat to prove that he's the best ever? Like, who else? Who else? Like, the only guy, the only up-and-coming guy that, that I think is going, I think he will be a champion in the UFC one day, but he's not there yet, is Umar Nurmagomedov. And unfortunately, he got injured and didn't get yeah. to fight Corey Sandhagen. I'm a big Umar Nurmagomedov believer, but he's not there yet. He's like number 10 in the division. He's still got a long way to go to get to an Aljamain Sterling. And we all kind of imagine if Aljamain wins, he's going to be going. Like he said, I'm going to yeah. go to featherweight. And he wants to leave the division for Marab. Um, I, there's, who else? Who, who else? Yeah, who else? Who else could? Who, what else? What else? What does he have to do? Like, what? What else yeah. could he have? He has a win over Munoz, also. Let's not forget that. You know what I mean? Sandhagen. Like, what else would he? If you, if you, if 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 Aljamain Sterling goes out there and ragdolls Sean O'Malley and finishes him inside the five rounds, whatever it is, fourth round, third round, whatever, and you don't say he's the greatest of all time. At that point, I've anointed you an Aljamain hater because what else would the guy have to do? Like, what else would you have to do to consider him? And again, it may be a short-lived reign because maybe Marab gets the title and goes on a six-fight defense streak. Maybe he puts six title defenses as well, and then suddenly he eradicates what Aljamain did. But he's not there yet. Nobody's there yet. Nobody's done that. Aljo's already proven it. With a win Saturday night, he leapfrogs any discussion about someone else doing it. I mean, his resume speaks for himself and he's got a great opportunity here against a huge name in a favorable style matchup to do that. He's got everything going for him. And then, as he said, if he wants to, after this fight with a possible win, go up a division. Now he's got a super fight on his hands, a tough one. 
but a super fight on his hands as well. Him and Volkanovski is interesting me. I think that's a really interesting fight because Volkanovski is such a short featherweight. Now, clearly, we've seen that never work against him because he beats everybody. Uh, and he gave Islam Makachev his toughest fight in the UFC since he lost his whatever it was, the second or third fight in the UFC. But I think Aljamain and Volkanovski would be interesting. I think that's a really interesting. You don't have to, you know, Aljamain's got size. He's got the wrestling. He's got the grappling. We saw what uh, Brian Ortega almost did to Volkanovski. I'd be interested. I think it's an intriguing matchup. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to try to find the back. It's, that's a whole other discussion for me because Volk is, uh, I, I think Volk could do no wrong. You know, yeah. even in that loss, I got I gained more respect for him and became more a fan of him uh, in that loss to Islam. I mean, he, he he's the one person that showed there's ways of beating him. There's ways of not getting dominated and there's ways to hurt him on the feet. And uh, he did all that. He looked tremendous. Volkanovski, as I said, I already consider him the featherweight goat. What fun fight. Featherweight goat versus bantamweight goat. What a story that would be. Um, Real quick before we get out of here, Alan, of course, I say real quick because... The co-main event has kind of becoming a forgotten fight on this card. Now, I understand it because O'Malley and Sterling are getting a lot of attention, as they should. This is a really interesting fight. O'Malley's a star. Aljamain's the defending champion. I get it. But, like, Saturday night they did the feature during the broadcast of Zhang Wei Li against Amanda Limos, and, like, I knew it was happening, but I was like, man, why does it feel like no one has talked about this fight? And I get it. Zhang Wei Li, you know, beating, you know, getting the title and 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 being the champion again. Obviously, she has a loss to Rose. Now Rose is going to flyweight, so it seems like that's not going to be there for at least a little while. I'm glad Amanda Lemos got the shot because I was like, please let somebody else get a title shot. Please, like I have nothing against Rose Namajunas, but for the love of God, can we get someone else to get a title fight in here? Because I just didn't want to see Rose. I like Rose. It's not a knock on Rose. I just the same three people seem to get recycled. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but that being said, man, Zhang Wei leaves a force of nature, but Amanda Lemos hits hard. So this is an interesting one. A man, it's hard to look at this matchup, Damon, and not think that I don't want to compare this to like a John Jones thing because this is complete opposite sides of the spectrum. But when you look at how the possibility of Zhang Wei Li being dominant champion for a long time, when you look at that possibility, it's a very strong possibility. She's so good in every area and she's passed all the tests. She's made some mistakes along the way, but I feel like she's redeemed herself for those she's gotten the wins back and and she and she's gotten better you know look you look at her last fight Carla Esparza seems to out grapple everybody she got out grappled she got submitted by the hard-hitting striker who could wrestle who who could submit you Zhang Wei Li has all the makings to be a thriving champion for a long time somebody that, that we may be putting like to the women's go compet- uh conversations for Amanda Lemos, she needs to stand out from the crowd because what it feels like going into this matchup, just as you said, this co-main event isn't getting a tremendous amount of love. You know why? Because it's not two big names. It's a possible dominant champion in Zhang Wei Li against the next contender in line. That's how it feels. It feels like this is the next person. Okay, John Jones beat everybody. Who's uh, number eight or number nine? Even though Zhang Wei Li hasn't dominated division for that long, it feels that way almost. So, Amanda Lamos needs to go out there guns blazing. She needs to make this a fight from the opening gate, I believe, and get that respect. Because if this is not a fun fight or she gets taken out, it's just another contender. And it doesn't really, it doesn't do anything for either girl. I mean, I mean, it doesn't. If Zhang Wei Li dominates her, yeah, she's still the champion. Who's the next one in line? Like, 
if this is a war from the get-go, I think I think both of their stock rise because this fight isn't getting a lot of, a lot of love. And um, I can't say enough about Zhang Weili. I think she's so good. I've, I've done breakdown shows on her before. And um, looking in detail at how good she is, um, and she, she's good. She's so well-rounded, but I think what could be a, 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 a a factor in this fight is going to be physicality. She's such a physical, strong girl, right? And when I say physicality, I think of it like this. Even though Amanda Lemos is a power puncher, I think the physicality when they get entangled is going to be a factor. Think about a, a small opening of a door. And if me and you are both trying to get in that door first, who's going to get through that door? The physical, the more physical, the, if it's the strength, if it's you have a few pounds on me, if it's, it's that physicality. And sometimes in those fights, the physicality of just like a 50, 50 type position or deflecting a punch helps you get that win or that position or land that strike more than the other person. And I feel like she has a physicality advantage on almost any girl in the division. And now you couple that with all her strengths and techniques. She can outstrike you. She can outgrapple you. She can submit you. She's the stronger person. She has the possibility to be a great one in the division. I'm very high on Zhang Willie. I saw her at the PI the other day. She's the most respectful, humble girl I've ever met. I mean, you, I see her from across the gym. I'm not a Hall of Famer. She runs across the gym, shakes my hand, bows. Like, oh, so good to see you. I'm leaving for Boston tomorrow. She had, she left for Boston on Sunday. Um, she's homed in, man. She, 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 she's got everything going for her. Amanda Lemos needs to go out there and get her respect in this fight because I think people are overlooking her big time. Yeah, I think, I mean, Zhang Lily doesn't get a lot, she gets a lot of credit for being a very strong brute fighter, but she doesn't get credit enough for how smart she is. I always go back to the rematch with Joanna Jacek when Joanna, I always watch that replay, it was something Matt Brown broke down for me, and it's really brilliant. He talked about the way that Joanna was standing, and she, he said Joanna was doing everything right, throwing the combination she threw, but Zhang recognized the opening, stepped on the outside of her leg and threw that spinning back fist. She recognized where Joanna's legs were, Stepped on the outside, uncorked that spinning fist, and it was perfect. And that, to me, like that's the true sign of a technician. She gets credit for being powerful and strong and hard-hitting and a brute in there, but she doesn't get enough credit for how smart she is in there. I think, again, I'm glad Amanda Lemos got the title shot because I just didn't want to run back another rematch. But you're right. You know, I, I think that Zhang Weili, I mean, listen, I'm picking her to win this fight. Alan, I got to be honest with you. I, I and I, I say I keep saying I don't mean to disrespect. And I'm about to say something disrespectful. Amanda Lima is a very good fighter, but tell me, tell me right now, you're not excited at the thought of Zhang Wei Li and Tatiana Suarez. I mean, come on now. Okay, you you, you threw me you threw me for a loop because <laughs> I was with you, but I have a different one. Day I have a different one. Are you talking Yan Zhao Nan? Yes, I think she's more deserving. I mean, you're honestly, not wrong. You're not wrong. They're both on two or three fight win streaks right now. But you know what holds more weight than anything to me? Yan Zhao Nan's win over Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie yeah. Dern, that monster that we saw last fight, that's a striking machine that was throwing Angela Hill, the seasoned crafty striker Angela Hill around. I mean, Mackenzie's a beast right now. And that win over over McKenzie that Jan had um that's looking real good right now and I think um I think that's the next one in line I think she's Jan's ranked higher I think she's got more credible wins more recently and in my mind I mean you know look 
realistically, are a bunch of Americans going to be excited about two Chinese girls possibly fighting in, in China? I don't know. But for the UFC, they just put that all that money into the PI, and they're doing so much to push the market in China right now to have a Chinese champion fight a Chinese contender in China, possibly at the end of the year or whenever they may be. I think that would be the biggest fight in the Asian market we've ever had. So I think that's what gets me excited, just for the growth, the growth yeah. and expansion for the UFC and the demographic. I'm not saying stylistically like these are my my favorite two matchups, but I think the growth that that fight would bring, and then the winner of that one, then um. Uh, why am I blinking on the girl Suarez. you just said? Yeah, Tatiana Suarez. Yeah, Tatiana yeah. Suarez. I mean, she's the dark horse in the division, right? I just don't think she's there yet. I think she's well, I think, gone for I, three years I, and has two wins. I think she needs one more. I think the UFC also, and I, lo- I listen, you will not find a bigger fan of Tatiana Suarez. Just you know, I'm a wrestling guy, so I always root for the wrestlers. But I think, I, in my opinion, Alan, I think the UFC wants her to get another one too also because they want to make sure she's going to stay healthy. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. She did go through three years off the neck injury. They don't look what's going on light heavyweight right now. No one can hold on to the freaking title. Everyone gets it and gets injured. Yuri Prohoshka. So, you know, um, I think they want to make sure Tatiana is fully back and healthy. She seems like she is, but I won't be shocked if they give her and listen, her and Mackenzie Dern. That's a really interesting matchup. I'd kind of like to see that one too. Mackenzie's world-class <laughs> grappling against that. I wrestling. love that. Yeah. I love so, that matchup. but you you're right. Me? Yan Zhao Nan and Zhang Wei Li in China, that's a massive, massive fight for them. Remember when Zhang Wei Li knocked out Jessica Andrade to become champion, how big that was coming out of China, the first ever Chinese champion? Imagine yeah. doing two Chinese fighters in China. I mean, that's a massive, and I, I mean, come on. The UFC, if they can do that and they can put it on time-wise, they're going to do that fight in China. I mean, come on. Like, how could they not? The, the name you just mentioned, um, Jessica Andrade, uh, when I spoke about physicality earlier, um, um, Lamosh is, is a strong girl, right? But she's striking strong. Um, I mean, you know, she has a submission, uh, her last fight, I believe. But, um, when, when, when uh, Jessica Andrade got that standing, didn't she get a standing guillotine against standing, Amanda uh, Lamosh? Standing arm triangle. Head and arm choke. Yeah, yeah. Right? And physicality. That's where, that's where, that's where I'm going. Like, if you get that, that was done to her from Andrade, who's strong. Andrade is a beast. I'm not going to lie, but, you're talking about strong, explosive, everything with Zhang Wei Li. That's why I think she's going to be in trouble in, in those in those areas in there if they start mixing it up. It's a it's a fun and time. Head kicks because... too. Watch out for Wei Li's uh, head kicks. I think she finishes every combo with a uh, a one two right head kick. I wouldn't be surprised if that ends that way. Yeah, I won't. I listen. I'm picking Zhang Wei Li to win this weekend, and it's funny. You know, a year and a half ago, whatever it was, and I and I love Carlos Barza. I think Rose Namajunas is obviously a legend in her own right, but when that title fight happened, it kind of felt like the air got deflated out of the division because it was a fight that was, like, so hyped, and then it just – it did not live up. I, I, I've talked to Carla about it. I don't think she would tell you it lived up. It was a bad fight. Everyone knows. It kind of, like, the all the hype just kind of deflated out. Zhang Willie then goes out there and runs through Carlos Barza. Now – we're in a really interesting time. Rose is gone. Carla's obviously pregnant. She's going to be gone for a while. Zhang Wei Li, Amanda Lemos or something fresh. Zhang Wei yeah. Li against Yan Zhaonan in China is huge. You got this massive contender up coming up in Tatiana Suarez. It's a real fun time at Strawway right now. Man, you I mean the fight that you said, Suarez versus Dern, God. God. I'm 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 on that one. I'm curious sign about me, that one. Sign man. me up tomorrow. You get a world class yeah. wrestler against the best jujitsu fighter, maybe in 
maybe in women's history. I'm not. I'm not trying to put that label on Dern. You know, she. But in terms of accomplishments, she's accomplished a lot yeah. as a grappler. I would agree. Um, Oh boy, that's a fun fight. You wonder, that's like, will one. Tatiana take her to the ground? Will she be willing to grapple with a guy with dirt on her back? She's not scared of being on her back. Do uh, we now see Tatiana Suarez's striking for 15, 25 minutes? I mean, uh, ooh, that's a tough one. Against, and let's not, uh, for, let's not forget, before she got injured, she had that fight with Nina Ansaroff, now Nina Nunez, and Nina struggled off some takedowns. She gave her some problems when she couldn't get the takedowns. Tatiana won, no mistake about it, but yeah, like would she be willing to just take Dern to the ground and play in her guard? Dude, I think I just did Sean Shelby's job for him. I'm just saying. Like, I'm, just I'm like, loving that fight, man. <laughs> uh, Alan, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, man. I love you coming on doing these breakdowns before or after the big cards. Uh, of course, I'm always going to have you back on. What do you got coming up next? You're always a very busy guy. You're traveling. got a million things going on. Uh, what's next for you? Singapore, baby. I've never been to Singapore, so we have that show coming up uh after ufc boston so it's a week i'm gonna bring my wifey uh and try to enjoy it man it's an area of the country that i've never been uh and so i'm looking forward to it man it's like a beautiful place and some good fights i think that's the uh i haven't even looked at it, but i believe that's max, the holloway and max uh, holloway korean zombie aaron blanchfield talia santos that's a really good card there you go oh i think even anthony smith's fighting on that one anthony smith ryan so, span yeah that's the yeah other one so that'll there. be good man and i believe if if, if everything goes as planned we're doing the road to the ufc semifinals the next day and i, I believe i'm gonna get my crack at color commentating on that one so hopefully it's me and uh john gooden sitting cage side i get to do my first color commentating gig with ufc and kind of get the ball rolling in there which is my path that i'm trying to get to anyway so um i'm looking forward to it man it should be a fun trip Dude, those road to the UFC cards are fun. They had a couple last year. They had some crazy knockouts on there, some crazy finishes on there. So those are fun. And, yeah, I think you'd be tremendous at color commentary, man. I hope you uh, get that gig and continue to run with it because, like I said, I think you're incredibly talented, and uh, I'd love to see you doing that. So, yeah, have a safe uh, trip over to Singapore. And uh, that's a great card, man. For a, for a fight night card, that's a really good card. So uh, <laughs> although it's 8 a.m. here in the States, it's a little rough for us East Coasters, but uh, I guess I have nothing to complain about with the poor people in, like, London, and uh, UK and yeah. stuff who are staying up to like eight in the morning to watch fight cards. So I guess I shouldn't complain. Uh, it's tough on the prelims, but a couple times I've done these daytime cards. I was like hanging out by the pool. The fights are done at like two or three p.m. I'm like that was that was kind of nice. Like I'm gonna go to bed early tonight. I got all my my fights in. I'm I'm done. You know, it's it's a good mix up now and then, but eight a.m. starts. Rough. Yeah. yeah. Are you doing? Are you, now? Are you say you're going with the family? Are you doing a little vacation before or after? I'm just going for that, man. I wanted to. We wanted to go. My wife's from Thailand originally, so we wanted to do Thailand after. But really, school just started. My son's back in soccer, which is like my favorite thing to go do, to watch him do. And um, to be gone already just for this week in the road to the UFC is the next night. So it's another night of study and travel and everything. Uh, we're just going to come right back. But there's a lot of people, the entire like production, makeup, pr uh, producers, stage managers, they're on this. Uh, they go, uh, a lot of them are going Boston. Singapore. Then what's after Singapore? You go to Australia. Is it Sydney and yeah. then Paris, or and maybe that's a reverse order? But a lot of the UFC people are going to be super tired. So if you see them on camera, give them give them a, a round, of, <laughs> give them cut them some slack maybe because um there are a lot of them are going on like a three or four week travel thing and they're just 
it's going to be a long one for a lot of those guys. Yeah, it's Singapore, Paris, Australia in a row. So that's a lot yeah. of travel. Yeah, and I know a lot a of lot them of do that, man. That's uh, I know when I used to talk to the PR people when I'd be backstage at UFC events, I'd be like, where did you just come from? And they'd be like, oh, I went here, here, here. I'm like, dude, I do not envy your job. Like, I do not like traveling once a week, much less going three places in three weeks. So, yeah. And it's different if you're going in, like, Florida, Nebraska, Vegas. But when you're doing those type of trips, like this trip to Singapore, I go – I go Louisiana to Houston, six-hour layover, then a 24-hour flight to Singapore. It's this new flight that goes nonstop to Singapore, 24 hours on a plane. I'm just I'm just hoping I get some sleep on a plane, get there, and and have my 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 right mind because it's it's just gonna drive people crazy that much flying across the country across Dude, the I'd world. Dude, I'd go I'd go stir crazy. I'm terrible. Like I I would love to visit Australia, but like I don't do well with like six hour flights. I'm not gonna be super excited about a 24 hour flight, dude. I would go stir crazy. I'm nervous about it, man. Do you get like the sleeper bed though? At least like do you get to like the. I, I said, look, we're gonna if we're doing this, we're gonna need a uh, we're gonna need to upgrade on on travel. So yeah, we're doing that. But um, but even so, you know, I mean, it's 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 a reclining, you know, it's a lot of travel. It's a long time, man. I mean, it's and then you know when you go to Singapore like that, it's twenty four hours of travel. Maybe you get six seven hours sleep on the plane, and you wake up, you get there, and it's ten a.m. You have to stay up until the rest of the day because if you go to bed in the middle of the day, now your your time's messed up. So it's these travel shows mess me up because I'm a sleeper, but some people they get by on five hours. Not me, man. I need I need my sleep to to do these shows and remember these names in Asia. Yeah. Oh, dude, and then going right to that to the road to UFC. Uh, like I yeah. said, man, hope to see you on the commentary. I think you do a great job at that. And Alan, thank you so much for always doing this. You know, I appreciate it. These are always uh, longer podcasts. We're breaking down the entire card, so I really appreciate you doing this. Obviously, safe travels uh, next week out to Singapore, and uh, it is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. A pleasure, man. Thank you, brother. There you go. Uh, thank you, as always, to Alan Joban joining the show. Uh, obviously, UFC 292 this weekend. Uh, stay tuned and locked into MMAfighting.com. We'll have all your coverage from Boston on the ground. I won't be there, but uh, the great Jose Youngs and Mike Heck will be there. So pay attention to all the coverage this week from Media Day to press conferences and everything going on in Saturday night. Keep it locked to MMAfighting.com. Uh, next week, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the immortal Matt Brown will be back. He's been on vacation the last two weeks, uh, so he will be back in the saddle with us next week to break down all the fallout from UFC 292, so stay tuned for that. And as always, we appreciate everyone tuning into the show. We'll see you next week for another edition of The Fighter versus The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. 
Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow.